didn't sing, um, especially after taking last week off. Um, it's just really good to be back with you and worshiping God and um, being in His Word. Tonight is a testimony night. We have Darren and Jane Friedinger. Before I welcome them up uh, and introduce them onto stage, um, <clears throat> what we do on testimony nights is a little bit different. We still want you to be going through First Corinthians, so if you need a pen, we have extra pens, but hopefully... Some people have passed them out. I totally forgot to pass them out. Raise your hand. You did already? Awesome. Everyone got a pen, though? Everyone's got a pen. Awesome. Okay. So what we do is we read the chapter that we're supposed to be studying through tonight, and then we um, underline it, highlight questions that we have, whatever. We'll discuss those in small groups afterwards. But then we invite um, someone to share um, testimony and how God has worked in their lives, um, specifically, and if it connects to our passage, which I think tonight um, we'll do that, and I'm looking forward to that. So tonight, let's read our passage. Let's open up our scripture notebooks to 1 Corinthians 9, the ninth chapter. It's on page 28. Again, underline anything that you find interesting, something that you might have a question about, circle those things, um, and feel free to Ask those questions um, in your small group and go over those in small groups after large group is done. So, let's start in verse 1 of chapter 9. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examined me is this. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? And don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working, who serves as a soldier at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat his, its fruit, or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? Am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. Is God really concerned about oxen? Isn't he really saying it for our sake? Yes, this is written for our sake. Because he who plows ought to plow in hope, and he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things for you, it is too much if we reap material benefits from you. Verse 12. <clears throat> if others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. For my part, I've used none of these rights, nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case. For it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprave me of my boast. For if I preach the gospel, and I have no reason to boast, because I'm compelled to preach. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if unwillingly, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge, and not make full use of my rights in the gospel? Although I am slave from all, I'm not anyone's slave. I've made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews, to those under the law, like one under the law, though myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, even though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law, 
verse 22. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that I may be by every possible means save some. Now I do these all this because of the gospel so that I may share in the blessings. Don't you know that the runners in his stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. Verse 26. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. And that is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now the big idea before uh, I invite Darren and Jane to come up and share, the big idea of this passage, large picture, 10,000 foot view, is this. Is, am I, are you, willing to make sacrifices for the advancement of the gospel. Paul writes in several situations where he has certain rights and he has chosen not to use those rights in a way to um, boast in himself, but in order to serve and minister to people um, in a way that is glorifying to God and that in a way that spreads the gospel. And so that is the, the big picture of 1 Corinthians 9. It's if you were here a couple weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 8, it builds off of that idea that we talked about, especially in small groups, of, you know, is there anything that I should be sacrificing, any right that I have that I need to sacrifice in order to uh, evangelize more effectively to those around me? So, with that, I want to welcome up Darren and Jane Freidinger. Um, they're local cross-pointers here, um, uh, and I'm excited to hear their story how God has worked in their lives, and how that correlates with this concept of sacrificing for the sake of the gospel. So, if you would please welcome Darren and Jane to the stage, <clears throat> and give them your undivided attention um, as we go through some questions, Q&A, get to know them a little bit more, um, and hopefully get to see how God has been working in your life. So, first question. Um, you know, help us get to know you a little bit more. Uh, what was your life like growing up, um, before a relationship with Jesus? Both of you, what, what, what was family like for e each of you? Um, what were some things that would be helpful to know about um, your lives and your childhood as you, as you grew up before you became a believer in Jesus? That's very loud. Um, so I am the second youngest of seven kids. Um, my family was a blended family. My birth mom died when I was very young. I had one full-blood sister from my dad, uh, or full-blood sister, shared mom's hair dad, and then my dad remarried uh, my stepmom, who had four kids of her from her previous marriage, and then they got together, and then they had my younger brother. So there's four, two, and one. And going from the youngest of two to the second youngest of seven is a bit of a challenge. I don't know if anyone here have a lot of brothers and sisters, more than just one brother and sister. can relate a little bit, though. So. Um, we grew up, I, for this area, I would consider what I would, I had what I would consider a pretty normal childhood. Um, my mom and dad went, we went to the Apostolic Christian Church. Everyone in this area probably is familiar with that a little bit. We were, they were not members, but we always went, so that was the faith. Um, that I, culture that I grew up in. Uh, no one in my family was officially a member of the church. 
I was actually the first one to join the church, and that was at the age of 25. So grew up not really opposing God, at least in my own heart anyway, that I would, would have characterized it as. But ultimately, it took me quite a few years to get to the point of saying, basically surrendering to God, saying, okay, I've tried to do this too long on my own. Now it's time for me to surrender to you. So um, gr- graduated here in Eureka, obviously. So I'm not sure what else. Yeah, no, that's good. Jane? So I grew up in Iowa, <laughs> um, about eight hours away from here. Um, we actually related to Kent. I don't know if you guys knew that, but. I had no idea. You didn't know that? Yeah, so his great-grandpa and my grandpa were brothers. Oh. Oh. On which side? Uh, so Schrock. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In fact, yeah, the founding of what should have been Schrockville. Schrockville. Yeah. That's yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but it's called Congerville. Yeah. So um, deep in the Apostolic Christian Church, my grandpa was a big whoop-de-doo um, in the church, and so my mom, his, you know, daughter, that was really big. Like she wanted all her kids to be a part of that church. Um, so my parents were believers. I'm the, I'm the seventh out of eight kids. So again, big family. Um, they kind of lost us somewhere in the middle. My mom never got my name right. Still doesn't to this day. Um, but we were, my, my dad read Bible stories to us every night before bed. We read at the dinner table. It was all King James Version. So when it came to study, you know, Shakespeare in high school, I had no problem because we had grown up with that kind of old, old King's English, right? I could interpret Shakespeare, no problem. Um, but there was kind of a culture in the young kids in the Apostolic Church where I grew up out in Iowa that you kind of sowed your wild oats before you became a part of the church. That was kind of an unwritten expectation. So we were the kids that partied the hardest. We were the kids that, you know, we were going to get a whole lot of living in before we became a part of the church because once you did, it was all skirts and buns and head coverings and it looked like a really boring, that's what I equated, you know, the Christian life with, this really, really tied down, strict um, way of living. Um, and so, so I did a lot of living, (laughs) um, and was not a very good kid. And, um, I was really good at fooling my parents. Um, I was really good at, at probably fooling my teachers, but I was not a good kid. Um, so I didn't come to the Lord. I, I mean, I, I think that I definitely felt the call of the Lord starting probably in sixth or seventh grade. But to become a part of the apostolic church meant no dating, you know, no prom. I, was, I wouldn't be able to be a cheerleader. I wouldn't be able to be in the plays. I mean, all these things that I just, you know, thought was really important. So I put it off a long time, much longer than I should have. Um, in fact, I was in a pretty bad rafting accident um, when I was a sophomore in high school. And um, probably shouldn't have lived, but... Um, did, made it out. That was like one of those things that just kind of rattled me to the core that if I had not survived that accident, um, I didn't know where I'd be. Like I didn't know in the afterlife where I'd be, but I felt pretty certain based on the teachings I had heard growing up that it wouldn't be in heaven. So, um, but yeah, I didn't come, I, I ended up, um, 
getting in a pretty serious relationship right as I graduated high school. I became promised to him, which was kind of a precursor to being engaged and was planning to, he was from Tremont, Illinois. I was planning to move out here and you know, we were gonna, we were gonna get married and all of that stuff. And so I quit college um, a semester into my freshman year and moved to Illinois. And a couple days after I got here, he said um, he thought we shouldn't see each other anymore. So then I felt like a real loser. I was, you know, I'd moved eight hours away from home. I had quit college. I was, you know, living in my sister's basement. And there was just a series of events where God really showed me that I was trying, I was trying to dictate my own path in life, and it was not the path that he had for me. Um, so at 20 years old is when um, God finally knocked, the, you know, my feet out from underneath me enough that I could finally realize I, I really had nowhere else to turn but to him. Yeah, and that kind of leads into my second question. You kind of answered my second question for you. Darren, what about you? What, what events led to your moment of conversion? Um, how did you become aware of your sin and need for a Savior? Um, like, wh- what areas were you serving self instead of serving God? Okay, yeah. Um, I, like I said, it was about, I was 25 when I finally surrendered to, to follow Jesus. And up to that point, I had, I was in a relationship with a girl and, she then decided to, at some point, join the Apostolic Christian Church. And so that right there kind of made me stop and think, okay, what, what am I doing? What, where am I going? Kind of, and I, like I said, I was raised in the Apostolic Church, so I knew, I knew where I stood with God as far as what the church would think about me and that I hadn't officially committed. Most people would have thought that I was going to go to hell if I died, that kind of thing. So I, when she came and said she was going to give her life to following Jesus through the Apostolic Church, it made me stop and think, okay, where where am I going to go? And it took me, even from that point on, a couple couple weeks to understand and really process where I was, because I was never, being the second youngest of seven, I was one of those that kind of got lost in the shovel. If I didn't make a fuss, nobody was going to pay attention to me, so I just kind of hung out in the shadows and so when that happened, it really put the onus on me. It was like, no, this is in your court. You need to make a decision now. What are you going to do? And I wasn't used to that, so it took me a while to kind of process where I was, what, what I needed to do. Um, at that point, then, I realized that I'd tried to live my life. Like I said, I wasn't overly par- into the party scene or anything like that, but I'd kind of gotten dabbled a little bit in it and then just realized that, when she basically left me for the church, I basically was like, had two clear paths to go. I could either jump into the party scene, a lot of my friends were doing that, or I could really commit and follow Jesus. And by the grace of Jesus, I decided at that point to follow him. So Yeah, that's awesome. Praise God. Yeah. Um, Jane, I guess we'll start with you on this one. Um, since your conversion, how has Jesus changed your life? Um, what are some evidences of the Spirit living in you, especially in the area of um, sacrificing certain wants and desires to advance the gospel um, throughout your time being a follower of Christ? Yeah, so I think um, when you're young, you <laughs> you think you know all these things, and then the older you get, the more you realize you don't know. So I think it's God just 
it's God shaping and molding me to realize how utterly dependent I am on him. And that's, that doesn't come easy for, you know, I'm a pretty type A, charge ahead person. And then just to have God just really showing me that I am not good on my own. I'd love to tell you that it comes easy to be self-sacrificing, but that's not human nature, right? We want to be comfortable. We want what we want. We want our way. And God continually shapes and molds us and sharpens us, sometimes through some really painful suffering. Um, you know, we've, we've been through infertility as a couple. We weren't able to have kids of our own. We've been foster parents now for 14, 15 years, you know, that's probably been the biggest area of sacrifice. It's a ministry we live with 24-7, 365. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know that I would have chose that had God not brought us through. And I mean, like, if we'd had our own biological children, I don't know that I would have chose to go into the road of, of foster care. Um, so God takes some of the, the most painful experiences, and he creates a ministry out of it, and he creates... Um, he creates the most opportunity out of some of the most painful moments of your life. So, yeah, Dan, what about you? What are some um, evidences of the Spirit living in you? How has Jesus changed your life, especially when you're thinking about sacrifice um, in order for the advancement of the gospel, um, mission field, everyday life kind of thing? What What are some areas there that you've seen that grow in your life as you've been a believer? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, other than what Jane mentioned, obviously with the battles with infertility and foster care, the adoptive parent thing <laughs> that's like, like she said, 24 seven, 365, um, us being called to go as missionaries to the Texas, Mexico border to work in Reynosa, Mexico, which I don't know if everyone knew that or not, but, uh, we, we were missionaries for five years down on the border. Just that whole process of God leading us to make that decision, um, how he worked in us, what he used to get us to that point of committing, yes, we're going to go. Um, at the time, we had really good jobs. We had pretty stable family life. We had our house that we would built in Congerville. We were ready to kind of fit into the, the traditional Midwest living. Well, God had other plans, and it was, I think he used those things to kind of teach us and get us in the mode of being willing to self-sacrifice, to sacrifice things that you don't want to give up. Um, I, just to get it, <laughs> I don't want to go into the whole story of how we worked and everything, because we'll be here till 2.30 in the morning, and <laughs> I don't think you guys want to do that. So, But the bottom line is he used a lot of things to tell me he wanted me to change the direction of my thinking in my life. and. The beginning of that process was us going to the mission field. Once we were down there, I, I like to characterize it as he basically just pretty much destroyed every preconceived notion I ever had of who God was. I grew up with the apostolic culture that God was very structured. You did these things. You did this checklist. You read your Bible every day. You went to church and blah, 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 blah on down the line. And that's kind of, that fit really well in my brain. I'm a structured person, I'm an engineer, I work at Caterpillar, so yeah, it fits the mold, but God was basically saying, no, that's not who I am. That's not what I want for you. So, um, and even to get us to come back up here from the border, it was a painful process. Uh, it, he 
won't say wrecked our lives, but it was it was very very challenging experience to to get us to commit to coming coming back up here and get back into the Midwest yeah. mindset in life. So, yeah, for sure. A uh, couple more questions. I mean, obviously, when we become Christians, our lives are not perfect, right? We still struggle with sin um, every single day. How do you deal with sin differently now that you have a relationship with Jesus as opposed before having a relationship with Jesus? Um, are there any areas uh, where you are aware of exercising self-control as a battle in your current everyday life um, and, and present day? Yeah. <laughs> As any parent, as, yeah, <laughs> as any parent will tell you, having kids is a challenge. <laughs> Foster kids that have come with their own, what I'll call baggage, added on top of that, it just makes it even more challenging. And I'd say the area I struggle most, just on a daily basis, is just selfishness and trying to have my way in the way I want things to go. Kids are gonna <laughs> challenge that at every step. And, uh, I'm sure none of the kids here will challenge their parents whatsoever, <laughs> anything like that. So I, I don't know if you can relate, but it's just, it's very challenging at times <laughs> to, to try to take my wants and put them in the backseat and, and deal with the situation as it comes. And that's all my life up to a certain point, I tried to come up with a, a template or a plan, a, if A, then you do B. If C, then you do D. That's not how life is at all, and that's not how God wants us to be. I like to say there's, there is always a right answer for every situation, but that right answer is not going to apply in every situation. So you've got to look at every person differently. You've got to, it's all about the relationship that, that you have with each person, so. Yeah, Jane, what about you? I mean, what, what are some ways that you deal with areas of self-control and battle with that um, while, while having a relationship with Jesus? How does that change things for you um, in your everyday life? Yeah, so I think the area where I struggle is I've got a really smart mouth. And um, as you get older, you, ha- you, get, uh, you get your wings clipped enough times, you start learning that I rarely regret the things I don't say, but I often regret the things I do. So God just teaching me that I've had to eat a lot of humble pie um, and just teaching me not to have a critical spirit and to just be careful with my mouth because it can, yeah, it can get me in trouble. I totally get that <laughs> and understand that for sure. Um, what, how does that look differently? How are you relational with Jesus in those moments? Um, I think the biggest growing area for me was when I was growing up, God was this terrifying, strict figure, right? Mm-hmm. You didn't cross him. Um, and he, he is that, but he also, lo- I mean, like, he also calls us his beloved. And the things that he says over his son, Jesus, you know, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, he says over you. And just, I think it took becoming a parent to really understand that you can be incredibly frustrated with your kid, but you also love them so deeply. And that doesn't go away just because they have a smart mouth um, <laughs> or whatever. You know, just, I, I can't fathom, as you go on through, through Corinthians, you'll come to Second Corinthians, and there's a verse in 521 where it says, God 
made him who had no sin become sin for us so we could become the righteousness of God. And all that fancy saying is, is that God literally sent his own son to substitute for us all the crud I've done, all the crud I'm going to. He literally took it on himself and said, I trade you my perfect self instead so that you know, we could become the righteousness of God. I, I, you know, I, there's nothing I can do to earn my salvation. There's nothing I can do to lose it. It's all been already negotiated. It's already already been traded for. Um, so how can you not love a God that's done that for you? Amen. Yeah. Yeah, something to add or? Um, just that um, one of the biggest things I've learned over the last few years is that is learning to separate what you grew up in, the culture of our Christianity as we live it versus what truly is the relationship with Jesus and separating those out. Just because you've always done something doesn't mean that is always right in every instance. Um, and also that God is not afraid of yours or my questions. He's not afraid of our sin. He, he's already done, he's done the battle for sin. But he's not afraid of it. I, I grew up and kind of with the mentality that I had to push my sin down before I came to God in prayer or anything like that or get rid of it as best I could. Even though, even though I fully knew God knows everything, he sees everything, how foolish I was. To, and I look back on like, God, you were such an idiot. That's what I thought about myself many times. Uh, but God is, God is such a great, all-powerful God. He uses your sin to bring you closer to him. So he's not afraid of your sin. He's not afraid of your questions. Go to him with everything. If, if you read anything at all from the Psalms, I mean, you can find every emotion that every human has ever experienced somewhere in the Psalms, from anger at God to praising him with all your heart and everything in between. So, Yeah, for sure. Uh, and that kind of goes into our next question. We only got a couple more questions. So... Um, uh, Next question is, we've been going through 1 Corinthians this whole year. Uh, what is one gospel truth that you'd want middle school and high school students to know and to hold on to as they walk through the halls of their respective schools, as they interact with family and other students um, in their everyday lives? What's one gospel truth that you would uh, want to pass along um, to students? Jane, then Darren. Yeah, I mean, I touched on a little bit, but just that God is crazy about you. You are his beloved. You know, you, when you look in a mirror, you may see the things you don't like about yourself, but when God sees you, he sees somebody that he created and that he loves with a, with a depth that we can't possibly understand. And he does for every person out there in your middle school and in your high school. So that would be the truth that I would want you to, to embrace and walk away with. Darren, you got one? Um, other than what I've said, <laughs> just it's a broad, it's a it's a super broad <laughs> question. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, yeah, I understand that. I, yeah, just that. God already knows everything about you. He knows everything you did, you are doing now, and that you will do. He, he's not afraid of your tough questions or your tough situations. And you can call out to him in anger. You can call out to him in in joy, in sadness, in whatever. He's there for you and always will be. Yeah. Yeah. And last one. What's some practical advice that you would give students um, as they, uh, as we are all called to live on mission in our everyday life and 
called to sacrifice to, to um, further God's kingdom. What, what's some practical advice that you'd give students on how to sacrifice, live on mission well? I would say um, look for the people on the margins in your life and be a friend to them. So look for the kid that is sitting by himself at lunch. Look for the new kid that doesn't know quite how to fit in at your school. Look for the kids here at Hype um, that need, you know, need somebody. And make it a point to go out to those people on the margin and welcome them into your life. And, and be genuinely interested in, in what they have to say and, and making them a part of, of what you do. Um, that's the greatest way that you can make a difference as a believer. You know, not all of us can preach to thousands of people or go to be missionaries in foreign countries and everything else, but you can make the difference in the life of a kid who, who's really struggling. Um, and, and let me just tell you something. Life is just one great big junior high. <laughs> it never ends. Even if you're 45 like me, life is still kind of one big junior high. You still have the gossipy people. You still have the clicky people. You still have the whatever people. Um, so just be a person that loves others well and finds the people on the margins. Amen, for sure. Darren? Um, I, I would just say what Jesus said uh, the two greatest commandments, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. And that includes your enemies, that includes your neighbor, it includes everyone. However they got to be in your life, they are there. It doesn't matter how they got there. Um, like Jane said, just the people that are on the margins, they're there for a reason. Maybe they're there for you to show the love of Jesus to them. That's how people will know that you are a follower of Jesus by how much you love others. Amen to that. Yeah, I think overall, really good encouragement. Uh, practical takeaway is like, God is a sovereign God. Darren has said that. Jane has talked about that, and he, and he loves you. Because he's sovereign, the fact where you are at presently is not by accident. Tonight that you are here is not by accident. The people that you come across in at school, that's just not by coincidence. I know for me when I was in school, I missed many opportunities to share the gospel with other students in my school. I, I went to Eureka. A, a lot of opportunities that I had that I missed. Um, yeah, the people that you intersect with at home, at school, wherever you are in life, any interaction is not by accident. God is sovereign. God has a plan, and, um, and he loves you, and he desires you to partner with him in spreading the good news of Jesus. And so um, with that, we're going to close our testimony night, how we close all of our testimony nights. We want to pray for Darren and Jane. Um, I heard fostering parenting and kids and uh, parenting in general. Uh, pray for that because that seems like that's, that's a big thing um, every day. Um, but then also continue to pray for uh, gospel witness in everyday, everyday lives, whether home or at work. And so would you guys please, by your heads, close your eyes um, and uh, reach your hand out as, as a sign of support uh, as we pray for our brother and sister in Christ. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for Darren and Jane and their willingness to come to share 
at our student ministry, God, how you've worked in their lives, how you've saved them, and we thank you for that. It's truly a work of grace, um, nothing that we can do, and so we, we praise you um, for saving us and continue to save people. God, we also thank you for just the work that you've done in their lives since that moment and grown them into who they are today and still growing um, from today and hopefully to continue to grow forward. God, we pray as they continue to parent um, their kids, as they continue to desire to minister and serve where you have them at currently, whether at home, at work, um, here at Crosspoint in different areas. Um, God, I just, I just pray that you would continue to encourage them, give them strength, uh, and, and give them rest in you. God, we love you. We serve you. We thank you for tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.